Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Gordon tells us about an unwelcome encounter with his dead father-in-law, and Lori tells us about a dead logger who looked for his wife and daughter for years after his death until she helped him find peace. Then there's Victoria, who shares her story of a long-dead pig, Edna June, who still watches over her ranch. Did you know a cafe in Anchorage, Alaska is haunted by the ghost of a woman who was blown to bits by a hired hitman? Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. These are just a few of the stories you will hear, and these stories just keep coming. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. Paul, America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of Author Masterminds, and your host on Real Ghost Chatter. If you are enjoying Raven's Cove and would like a signed copy, you can purchase it or any of the other books in the Iconoclast series at www.maryannpoll.com. Here's the next few chapters from Raven's Cove. If you are at home, grab your favorite drink and settle into your most favorite listening spot. If you're on the road, stay safe. In either event, enjoy. Chapter 15, Secrets. Anita burst through a traumatist and the door he covered. She felt a chill and took it for excitement over the man of her dreams. She rushed up to Plotno, fell in his arms and sobbed. Did you hear, she asked. Indeed, one of our brothers is gone. He has been taken from us and in such a horrible way, a martyr for our God. Anita wiped the forced tears but lingered against his strong, firm chest. She pulled back and looked up into Plotno's flint-colored eyes. He will be missed, even if he did run such an odd little business. To each his own, Anita, to each his own. Our God uses all for his purpose. We are not to judge, just to love. Anita's heartbeat quickened from the adoration she felt for this accepting, wonderful man. You're right as always. I'll be happy to plan the funeral. So many would want to say goodbye. Under the circumstances, I believe a memorial service would be better. I don't think there is much left to be viewed. True, I'll call Star and Autumn to help. You're such an asset. Plotno touched the curve of Anita's cheek and smiled into her eyes. Thank you. In a silent but clear dismissal, Plotno turned back to the sermon he had already written and been practicing for the memorial. This must be a pep talk for the congregation to see how special and right they are. One of their own sacrificed because of their goodness. He smiled and took a moment to bask in his talent to both write and persuade. Important, he thought, when a leader must whip up his followers to do an evil deed in the name of God. Anita watched her beloved at work. He exuded strength and power, and he would be hers. She thanked her God, Mickey died after her visit. 
she could never have gotten what she needed to cast her spell of love and bondage on this man. She headed for the door and shot through a traumatist again. Still stinging from losing his reward of Miggy, he lashed out and punched Anita between the shoulder blades. Oof! Anita lurched forward. Her guardian, Venenos, distracted by the boring task of watching this creature, so happily and unsuspecting going to her doom, snapped out of his mental haze. He shot forward and caught Anita before she tumbled headfirst down the concrete stairs. A traumatist giggled the laugh of a small, mischievous child. Iconoclast had reminded Venenos of this woman's import just minutes before. If you fail to protect this mortal, I will cast you into the abyss for eternity. Venenos glared at a traumatist's dead black pools and bared his red carnivore's teeth. You'll pay, you dumb lout. You almost cost me my freedom and I won't forget it. Andromatus hissed in reply but did nothing. He knew, but would never admit, Venenos' strength to be superiors to his own. He believed if Venenos ever got the chance, he would not hesitate to exact revenge. Anita looked back to the church door. She felt a push right before she tripped. Just like when her little brother shoved her from behind and she did not hear him coming. She shivered and took each step with care, gripping the railing until she reached bottom. At the sidewalk, she made a hard right turn, almost running into Artie Thralling. She leveled disdainful and accusatory eyes on him. Excuse me, Artie mumbled. Anita broke eye contact and quickened her step toward her home and goal. I have two hours before I'm missed at work, she smiled. Plenty of time to begin the spell. She unlocked the door of her small wood house. The white lace curtains in the windows, the blue-green door and the gray siding presented a beautiful, well-kept home which said warmth. The exterior contradicted the dark arts practiced within. Anita stepped through the front door and hurried to the basement to begin preparations. She thrilled to the thought of consummating her love, impatient to begin her new life with Martin Plotno. Soon, my love, soon. Your wife doesn't stand a chance. Venenos sneered at her naivete. You'll definitely end up in the same place as Plotno after the demon feast. Like a traumatist, he awaited the day he could eat his fill of her fear and terror. The anticipation brought a malevolent smile to his lips, revealing sharp, blood-stained teeth. It has been so long since the last banquet of flesh and bone and souls. Commander Iconoclast has already had his fill of two. Venenos comforted himself, knowing he would be first to eat after Iconoclast because of his rank. His blackness increased in size at the pride of his name, Fatal, given him by the great evil foe. He snatched many souls from the one who created these horrible mortals in the first place. He shrank in fear at the idea he would one day face the one who died yet lived, the one who had power over him and death and Hades. He could not say the name, it would destroy him. Venenos knew the truth. He witnessed God's glory before he joined the great rebellion to ultimately be thrown from heaven in shame. Venenos's focus snapped back to the present. This stupid mortal is getting ready to destroy the whole spell. I must do everything. Thus, I deserve to eat this human and soon. When I do, I will take my time and relish her pain and fear. Anita worked at a fevered pace, impatient to begin her life with Plotno. Stop, he roared into Anita's mind. She became a human statue. You are doing it all wrong. Read. The hatred and loathing shot out before he could stop it. He fought for control. When he spoke again, he used the sickening, sweet tone which made him want to throw up if he could throw up. Read the book. 
Look at the spells, Anita. You were doing it all wrong. You want the man. You need the man. You can't live without him. So slow down and take note. Anita relaxed. She didn't recognize the first voice, but the second contained her guardian's gentle whisper. She felt safe now. She stopped and reviewed the instructions and realized she almost made a terrible mistake. She would have murdered her beloved instead of capturing his heart. These things are tricky, she said. Thank you, guardian, she whispered. Anita focused all her attention on the concoction, measuring and chanting the words with care. It must simmer for a while, 24 hours to be exact, untouched in darkness. She looked at her watch, sighed, and snatched her purse off the rough-hewn table. She checked her hair in the brass mirror. She gave a sharp nod of approval to her reflection. Time to return to my character of librarian. How I long for the day I can reveal my true self, the powerful witch, so all will fear me. Anita glanced one last time at the small kettle, rounded at the bottom, a combination kettle and pressure cooker, beginning to simmer on the stove. She smiled. Tomorrow, a new day and a new love awaits. She ran up the basement stairs, grabbed her coat, and whisked out the door. Venonos stayed behind to monitor the brew. If it burned, the deceit would not be complete and the plan could fail. What adult. Believing this is a spell. So easy to fool most of these people. The truth is so much more logical. Iconoclast's many minions are fanning the lust in Plotno to a point where he can't resist this woman. Profligacy just entered Plotno, and he is only one of the many who live inside the pastor and masquerade as his idea of God. Destruction is close now. Venonos felt pleased with the plan's progress, very pleased indeed. Chapter 16, Truths. Cat watched Bart and Ken escort Josiah into the office. She shivered. This man knows my name and he may be the killer. Bart led Josiah into the coffee room, but purposely didn't offer him anything to drink. Better make him as uncomfortable as possible from the start. Mr. Williams, can you tell me what brings you to our small town at an odd time of year, I might add, Bart asked. Business. The cryptic and calm reply did not answer the question. What kind of business, Mr. Williams? Oh, here we go. Josiah braced himself for the ridicule, the look stating, crazy as a loon. Well, I can only blame myself. I talked to Pastor Lucas to both enlist his help and in hopes he would bring me to the attention of the sheriff. It worked. Josiah let out a sigh. God's business. The crazy as my Aunt Millie look settled over Bart's eyes. Bart's eyebrows raised. God's business. Please explain to us, he motioned to include Ken. What is so important in this isolated and small town of Raven's Cove to cause God to send you here? Josiah looked to the man leaning against the wall at the front of the room, semi-guarding the door and analyzing Josiah's every move. Not as much disbelief from the sheriff as there is in this one, Josiah noted. Ken continued to study Josiah. He doubted the quiet, unassuming, not to mention old, man before him could be capable of committing these horrific and gory killings. Still, the superhuman strength some murderers possessed amazed him. He remembered one case in which a five-foot, hundred-pound woman lugged a corpse to the edge of a cliff and rolled it down. She had been a bodybuilder. Her strength doubled by adrenaline. When it came to getting rid of a body, people could accomplish Herculean feats impossible under normal circumstances. But how did he speed up the rate of decomposition? Ken straightened. Yes, we'd be interested to know why God sent you here, he said. 
I don't ask questions, sir. I go where the Lord directs. This is like pulling a king salmon from the river right as it comes in from the ocean, Bart thought. Maybe we'll get more if Ken and I team up, at least shake him up a little. Bart motioned Ken to join them at the table. Ken strode over and stood across from Josiah. It has come to my attention, Mr. Williams. You have much more knowledge about the murders occurring in this small town. Yes, Paul came to the sheriff. This is good. Yes, I do. Then you can see why you have become a person of interest and in all honesty, our main suspect in this investigation. Yes. Okay. Please explain why you have detailed knowledge of the murders when even the newspapers have not reported on some of the facts you shared with Pastor Lucas. Josiah sighed, then prayed. Lord, guide me. Give me words to convince these people of my truthfulness. In your name, Jesus, I pray for the truth now. Amen. I have seen this before in my own town 10 years back. I researched it and found the same thing which happened in my town happened in China five years ago. Those details were harder to confirm because the Chinese government did its best to keep the facts out of the world press. God did instruct me through much prayer and meditation to come to Raven's Cove. I did not know why until I arrived. Bart and Ken turned cold, unbelieving eyes to Josiah. How many times, O oh God, must I relive the horror of losing my family? How many times must I share these most intimate and painful memories with strangers? Josiah fought back the tears. In a strangled voice, he continued, I'm sure Pastor Lucas told you my story as much as I shared with him anyway. I'd like to hear it from you, Bart answered. As I told Pastor Lucas, my family, along with 90% of my hometown, became murder victims. What I did not tell the pastor is some of the deaths were attributed to others in the community, people who were never violent in their lives. The initial deaths were just as you have seen with your first two victims. The deaths at the hands of the townspeople came later. The odd thing though, no matter how the person died, the deaths had one thing in common, a pinpoint hole in each eye socket and the brains were gone. Even if they were shot, hatcheted, bludgeoned, or remained intact otherwise, they had no brains. The police allowed me to look at the crime scene photographs. The first time they hoped to shock me into a confession. The second at my request after I'd been cleared of charges. My baby's brains were missing. My beautiful wife's robin's egg blue eyes were missing. But neither my wife nor my children had purple and black seeping from their eye sockets. And she and the babies were found, each baby curled against her as if sleeping. No horror on their faces. In fact, I saw a piece I never understood. Josiah dropped his eyes, studying the fine lines on the back of his hands, willing away the tears. Bart cleared his throat. I apologize, I'll continue. I have not seen these bodies firsthand in Raven's Cove, but it could not help but overhear the townspeople gathered on Main Street when I came into the town. Parts of those conversations confirmed my assumptions. Maybe I could believe this, Ken replied, if you reported only what you heard through the rumor mill, but you have information only the killer knows. Cat leaned toward the coffee room in hopes of overhearing the conversation. Darn, can't hear a thing. She grabbed Arnie's incident report and walked to the copier just outside of the room. Agent Melbourne, I am not a murderer. Well, I am one by neglect. I should have been protecting my family against the evil which overtook my home. Instead, I drank with my buddies while the mayor of our small town obtained entry into my home and proceeded to shoot my wife and two children 
and then turned the gun on himself. Likely story, Cat muttered, and then threw her hand over her mouth, hoping Bart did not hear her. Josiah, knowing Cat could hear him, and hoping he could touch her spirit with his words, continued, If this is what I believe it is, there will be at least two more deaths, one tonight and another the night after. Not on my watch, Bart said. Josiah turned patient and unbelieving eyes to Bart. I'm afraid so, Shira. You can't control this. It is not a man's doing these killings. At least not yet. This is the work of a spirit. It has various places it claims as its dominion on this earth. If anything has been built on its quote-unquote home, as it were, during its time away, then it becomes a feeding ground. If not, he checks all his various domains until he finds a feeding ground. From what I can tell, going back through as much history as I have, this entity and others like it claimed many areas on this earth. It visited Raven's Cove at a time coinciding with Captain Cook's voyage to Alaska in 1778. If I'm not mistaken, there is a legend confirming this. Don't start on the old myth, Mr. Williams. Every time something unexplainable occurs in Raven's Cove, the legend is blamed. It is a local tale, a story to stop children from wandering too far from their homes, nothing more. Not true, Josiah answered. Bart leaned forward, a red tint rising up his neck to his cheeks. How dare you? Josiah held up his hand. I will speak of it no more for now. Bart relaxed. Josiah continued, as I said, this thing has numerous areas on this earth it considers home, and Raven's Cove, although uninhabited land for many years, is now settled and thus a prime hunting ground. There is much going on which invited this thing to stay and destroy. There are members of your community who worship it in its type. Their flagrant hatred contradicts all God considers good and is the bait, for lack of a better term. Their acts grow more brazen every day. At the right time, these people, these ones you have known well and accepted as family in this town, will turn on you. They will do all they can to destroy the true believers and then burn the town to the ground. If what you say is true, then this thing is not logical at all, said Ken. Raven's Cove is tiny. I would see it somewhere like, say, New York, where the population is staggering. It has assigned dwelling places. It has no authority anywhere else, so it destroys all it can when it can. And as it destroys, it grows stronger. There is enough here to satisfy its quest for power and authority. One soul is a great loss to God. It relishes this prize above all else. Are you trying to tell us the devil is here in Raven's Cove? Because if you are, Mr. Williams, please note you are on shaky ground. I've had about enough of these crazy ramblings. Not the devil, but one of his most valued servants, one who grew more powerful over the centuries from destroying out-of-the-way unknown towns and villages. One who knows how to stay under the radar, as it were. Evil works in secret. Once exposed to the light of truth, it loses its power. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to exercise my power, Mr. Williams. I believe you have given me enough probable cause to keep you here for at least 24 hours. And I'm going to do just that. This trumped-up story, which is what it is, sir, has just won you a free night in the town jail. And even if I wouldn't have held you before, the threat more will die tonight makes it my bound duty to keep you here. Josiah shrugged, then looked Bart in the eye. Do what you must. It will not stop the murders from occurring. Unless you listen to me, they will happen. 
as sure as the moon will rise tonight, they will happen. Well, I'm doing my part to make sure they don't. Bart motioned Josiah to stand and ushered him to the little-used cell in the back of the station. Bruett, iconoclast's lookout, listened to the entire interrogation. He scurried from the room, headed to tell his boss of Josiah's humiliation and incarceration. Short in height, a more solid form than Andromatus and Venenos, his darkness projected a small shadow as he ran into a sunbeam peeking through the otherwise gray sky. He growled. Light revealed his true form and it sapped his energy. Winded by the brief encounter, he dove underground. Cat turned her head. She examined the wall below Bart's office window, looking for the child-sized shadow she saw flit past the corner of her eye. Nothing there. Great, all the crazy talk has me seeing things. She looked toward the window facing Maine to revel in the sunbeam brightening the otherwise dark day. The inactivity on Main Street disconcerted her. Raven's Cove had been a buzz this last evening. Today, it felt like a blanket of invisible snow fell and insulated the town's normal noises. Footsteps and closing doors seemed muffled. She couldn't hear the birds. You okay? Ken asked. Fine, thanks, FBI. She turned back to her copying. You are one cold fish. How could such a warm and inviting looking young woman be so full of frost? Sad, he thought, then smiled. Don't suppose you'd like to get some dinner later? We could have some fun before I leave for Anchorage. Cat narrowed her eyes. Not happening, FBI. Ken shrugged and turned his attention to solving the murders. This legend may be the key, he thought. Bart snapped shut like a clamshell when Ken asked. He mulled over the possibility Cat might have some answers. He decided against asking. He did not need to court any further rejection from the Ice Queen. Ken headed to the next most logical source, the library. A cold wind blew in from the north as he stepped into sunshine, fighting its way through the low-hanging clouds. It gave no warmth. He yanked his jacket collar up and around his neck to ward off the bitter chill. The cold emphasized the spooky quiet on Main Street. Ken's survival instinct rose to full alert. He scanned the street, all directions, and saw nothing looking the least bit menacing. Get a hold of yourself, man, he muttered. A passerby looked at him and walked just a little faster. Great, now I'm talking to myself and scaring the fine citizens of Raven's Cove. Hope my self-conversing doesn't make it to the grapevine. If anything can set a town afire, it's rumor and speculation about a stranger, second only to rumor and speculation on a well-known member of the community. He arrived at the library, walked up the gray cold steps. Not a welcoming exterior, he thought. Ken's library memories were warm ones. He loved the buildings, large or small. He loved the smell of books and seeing walls and rooms lined with bookshelves. This one, however, felt as cold as a butcher's walk-in refrigerator. He stepped in and strode to the counter. An acne-plagued teenager squinted at a rather new-looking computer screen. No other customers waited at the counter, but this fact didn't stop the teen from ignoring all of Ken's six-foot-some-odd structure. Ken looked at a sign. Please ring bell for service. Someone will be with you shortly. They are kidding, right? He thought. Ken cleared his throat. No response. He drummed on the counter. No response. He rang the bell. The young man finished typing into the hidden memory box and straightened and turned to Ken. Unbelievable. This kid would have been tarred and feathered in L.A. Can I help you? I hope so, Mr. Gary. Just Gary. Ken nodded. Okay, Gary. Where's the section on Raven's Cove history? Gary graced Ken with a blank stare, 
blinking several times in an effort to return from Biteland. Anytime now, partner. Um, Miss Connor, where's the stuff on Raven's Cove? He asked the empty foyer. Ken looked around. He and Gary appeared to be the only occupants of the building. A trim, attractive woman stood up from behind the counter. She had several large periodicals. Scowling at the intruder, she dropped the periodicals on the desk behind the counter and pointed to Ken's left. Next room, second aisle from the windows, bottom shelf, but there's not much there. Raven's Cove is a pretty boring little town. She forced a smile at Ken, not covering her irritation at all. And your name is? Ken asked. Anita Connor. Thank you, Miss Connor. The salutation came out with as much ease as the smile came over Anita's face. Welcome. Welcome. Anita dropped to the floor behind the counter. Right where she said it would be, and just as she said, not a wealth of information on the topic of Raven's Cove. Ken wondered if this town existed at all. Maybe, just maybe, he would wake up to discover he was in a dream. In just a day, he felt like he had jumped down the rabbit hole and entered Alice's Wonderland. He stifled the desire to pinch himself. Ken stood up and walked back to the counter. He rang the bell without hesitation and started speaking before the teen looked him in the eye. Not there. Is there anything on legends or myths of Raven's Cove in its surrounding areas? Anita popped up. She didn't like the stranger asking this particular question, but she couldn't pinpoint why. He's attractive and polite, so why is such an irritation? Most of our legends are word of mouth, Mr. Melbourne. He felt an unexplained repulsion at the thought of shaking her hand, so he left his arm at his side. Is there anyone I could speak to about the legends? Anita stood quiet for a moment, trying to decide how she could avoid answering. She couldn't. Grandma Bricken would be your best choice. She is the expert. Gary shot an alarmed look sideways to Anita, still pretending to be staring at the screen. Anita ignored it and hoped this intruder missed it. He didn't. But never daunted by a challenge, which it sounded like this Grandma Bricken could be, he didn't let on. Do you know where I can find her? The new church helping the guy who runs it do whatever he does when he's not pretending to be a pastor. Her venom was palpable. Feeling he had worn out his dubious welcome, Ken thanked Anita and Gary, turned and headed out to find Grandma Bricken. What a yucky man, Anita said, turning back to the task at hand. Gary stopped himself before saying, I thought the guy seemed okay, and instead went back to his typing, knowing better than to challenge Anita and raise her temper. Her ire knew no bounds, including physical, and he could not afford to take her punishment. He'd learned the hard lesson the first time, and he needed this job or his mom, dad, and siblings couldn't survive in Raven's Cove. Gary typed with focused intent, willing himself to ignore her searching eyes. He let out a silent breath when Anita Connor returned to her task. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to maryannpoll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash m-a-r-y-a-n-n-p-o-l-l. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.